On this episode of DevTalk, I speak to Alex Dunn about developing conversational apps. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Alex Dunn. Alex is a Microsoft MVP, Pluralsight author, and principal architect at Voiceify. Hello, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being my guest. And I just recently found out you are working on solutions in the the voice recognition space. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the the general category for the space is is uh, sort of the voice first space or voice space uh, or conversational AI as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been doing a lot of work, you know, with like uh, Alexa skills, Google Actions, Cortana skills. Uh, recently, doing some work with Bixby since it's sort of uh, fresh 2.0 release, uh, and also just a number of chatbots from social chatbots to sort of internal like Teams or Slack. Uh, bots to just, you know, custom stuff someone puts on the web or on their mobile app. That sounds like a, a fun hobby, but this is actually your work, right? Yeah, yeah. So it definitely started as a hobby um, in terms of just kind of messing around with my Alexas that I had and trying to build some some cool integrations with things I had in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it turned into an opportunity to to start working at Voiceify. Uh, I was sort of the, the first employee at the company and, and did some of the first POCs for the concept. Uh, and now I do it all the time. It's what I talk about now at, at conferences. It's what I, I do every day. And, and we've been building out our team uh, and, and obviously building out our product as well uh, while bringing on some pretty cool customers. So it's definitely consumed my life as I've sort of started to pivot from uh, mobile development with sort of native and Xamarin uh, into sort of this new voice space. Okay. Well, that sounds like a really fun job. So before that, you were... Xamarin developer and and what got you started with development initially? Uh, what got me started with development initially? Um, I I started writing code when I was uh, really young, like maybe like nine years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had introduced it to me when I was bored or in homesick one day at school. Uh, he's been a software engineer now for a number of years, um, so I sort of picked it up as like a cool little thing to tinker with. Uh, after school, uh, after I finished my baseball games, coming home and, and writing a little bit of code. Um, and then obviously sort of just continued to do that for the rest of my life since then. Um, started working professionally in high school at the UNH Emerging Technology Center, doing like little apps and websites for local companies. Uh, went to school for a little bit uh, to study computer science, then ended up actually dropping out um, and starting full time as sort of just a, a regular old developer. Uh, doing consulting stuff. And I sort of found my place doing mobile, uh, starting with just native iOS, Objective-C, and Android Java, uh, and slowly finding my way into Xamarin back when it was just, you know, MonoTouch and, and MonoDroid, um, and and really fell in love with that space and, and that tooling at the time. Um, so that's sort of where, you know, I spent the last maybe like eight years or so uh, really working in. It's interesting that you should be coming from that side. Usually, the, when I hear uh, people who are Xamarin developers, they come from the like desktop world, server development, WPF, right. and they because they know the the C sharp technology or, or .NET. They they when they move into mobile, that's the technology they chose or choose. And in your case, it was coming from the the real native. Well, I guess there were no alternatives when you started, right. probably. And and you found it's unusual actually <laughs> to to hear that because because people might uh, especially if you say you started with Mono Touch, uh, I might have been a bit rough at the beginning. Yeah, uh, coming yeah. from the world of 
uh, where everything was in Apple or, or uh, Android documentation. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be completely honest, I, I really moved into the MonoTouch and MonoDroid space because I, I was one of the like 10 people that had a Windows phone. <laughs> um, so I liked building and writing in C Sharp and building stuff for myself on my phone. Um, and then it felt like just the natural progression to, to work in a single code base with my favorite language. Um, but yeah, it, I, I honestly feel like it kind of gave me an advantage um, in the Xamarin space to have a background in native mobile because I, I feel like in working with a number of Xamarin developers, uh, you know, over the past few years, uh, one of the big challenges is that, like, to be successful with some of the real edge cases or, or really difficult challenges in mobile, uh, in cross-platform mobile, is understanding exactly how things are working underneath uh, for iOS and Android, and then also understanding the C Sharp and, and the mono runtime uh, sort of life cycles as well. Um, so I, I do feel like I had a little bit of an advantage coming in with, you know, a bunch of C Sharp knowledge and a bunch of native mobile development knowledge, too. Um, and just sort of putting them together to to build some awesome Xamarin apps. Right. That, that was especially the case before Xamarin Forms came around. But right. even with Xamarin Forms, you, you still have to, at, at some point, you still have to know the native APIs underneath, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I did the my first Xamarin Forms app when it was in, in sort of its initial beta. They didn't have XAML support yet. And I felt like everything I was doing was just a custom renderer uh, at the time for what I wanted to right. build and make it look nice because uh, it was really meant for such simple use cases. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was it was such a cool sort of experience shift to not have to do iOS storyboards and, and Android XML layouts and stuff like that and, and be able to just sort of design my my uh, UI and code at least. And I, I definitely like XAML now, um, but it was it was a very big relief when it was coming out. I was a big proponent of it as just a concept. Right. But, well, you mentioned uh, a lot of technologies you're working on nowadays, and yeah. uh, it seems they all have to do have something to do with speech. Yeah. I'm, I don't know how to get started. Uh, what's your, or let, let, let's try this. What's your favorite technology you're working with right now? My favorite technology I'm working with um, outside of our own sort of platform we have now is is probably just the, the sort of Alexa skill space, the custom Alexa skill space. Okay. It's... It's an interesting shift, um, and it's something that there's not a lot of great documentation out there, not a lot of great examples, especially for people trying to do uh, Alexa development with .NET, um, because the the officially supported SDKs are all in Java or JavaScript uh, with Node, mm-hmm. and also people who don't have AWS knowledge, they're, all their default stuff is deploying AWS Lambdas and doing that with Node and, and then getting up and running with it and, and using their SDK. But one of the the great things about the whole space is that it's just sending JSON up and down. Like that's what an entire Alexa skill is. It's Alexa sends you JSON and you send JSON back uh, and tell it what to say. One of the other challenging parts, though, is designing your language model around it and understanding how to, you know, take it from just returning JSON and and these nice little responses to like building very dynamic uh, and contextual conversations that are engaging for users and stuff like that. So that's really the space I'm I'm really interested in now within voice development is building hyper contextual, more human like conversations um, and sort of the challenges that come with that. Okay, let's let, let's let's dig a little deeper into that. So, so how do you how do you get started with that? I, I, when you you I I don't have a maybe we shouldn't be saying the word too much if people are listening on their <laughs> um, in their home. Um, yeah, mute your echo devices now if you're still listening with this with speakers. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so you have this uh, echo device, um, yep. and 
out of the box, it just does whatever Google uh, made it do. And I'm assuming it will just update itself and uh, learn new things over time. Uh, but y this is something uh, you're extending the capabilities of this device. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it, the the idea of custom skills, it's, it's very similar to building a, a custom mobile app. So uh, mm -hmm. out of the box, you know, Amazon can do a bunch of stuff and, and Google can do a bunch of stuff and Cortana can do a bunch of stuff. Like you can ask it the weather and it'll give you the weather or uh, set alarms or um, ask what time it is in a certain location. Uh, but when you move beyond that into wanting to have these sort of dynamic interactions, maybe it's with like your existing systems, maybe it's just being able to actually answer questions about uh, a certain product or a brand or something like that. That's where those custom skills come into play. And it's just like having a mobile app installed on a phone. You're essentially enabling these custom skills or installing them in a way uh, on your Amazon or Google account so that all of your devices can then hit it. Um, in the end, the, the devices themselves, are they're small and dumb. They are aware of their microphones and they have incredible technology in how to actually handle the audio processing. Uh, but everything beyond the sort of initial uh, wake word and then the actual recording and flow of data up is all just done over the cloud, uh, which is why if you're not connected to the internet, you can't really do anything with them other than uh, some stuff you can do like Bixby now on, on some smartphones. Um, but yeah. Okay, so how do you uh, trigger um, th that now your code gets called? So you, you're saying something and uh, maybe is it that uh, uh, the echo doesn't understand it and then it will go try some other uh, code or is there like a keyword you have to use before your own, your own code gets called? That's uh, a great question. So in general, all of the platforms work in a similar way where there's there's basically this idea of explicit invocation and then implicit invocation, uh, sort mm -hmm. of the official names for it. Explicit invocation uh, you can do by saying just like open and the name of the app. Uh, so for example, one of our, our customers is a, a nonprofit that has uh, pet resources. They're a rescue league. And so you could say, you know, Alexa, open pet resources. And that would get you into that experience. And now you're talking with that skill uh, and you're sort of in that single siloed app experience. Uh, the other way is with, or there's sort of somewhere in between, it's called one-shot invocations, uh, where you don't just say open in the name of the skill. Uh, you actually go right to a specific question or to a, a specific action. Uh, so for example, I could say, uh, Alexa, ask pet resources, how do I create train a puppy? Um, and mm -hmm. that's going to actually go past sort of the welcome message and intro and right into the sort of deeper content. Those two are, are technically two different types of explicit invocation. Um, the other side of is implicit invocation, and it's it works similar uh, to kind of like how SEO does with the web now. Um, each of the platforms implements it a little bit differently. Uh, Alexa has this concept called can fulfill intent request, where basically the the process when you say something and it doesn't know it by default, it'll either... Uh, go to Wikipedia to just try to find the data if it's like a basic question, or it'll mm -hmm. say, I don't know how to do that yet. Um, Google is all charming and saying, but I'm always learning. But the the sort of new feature for all these platforms is that implicit uh, invocation where, on the at least on the Alexa side, this can fulfill intent request feature, um, instead of just going right to Wikipedia or giving up, it'll actually go take your request and match it against a handful of those custom skills that it has in its directory, like in the skill store, uh, that aren't even necessarily enabled yet for your account. So imagine in this sort of same situation, uh, instead in like a, a mobile app where you go and Google search something 
And instead of showing you just the search results, it actually shows you a list of apps and brings you into an app that wasn't even installed before. So it would like install the mobile app for you, then bring you into the app that then is sort of providing you the answer you're looking for. Uh, so that's sort of what this can fulfill intent request is, or the idea of the implicit invocation, um, being able to go and search the directory of Alexa skills or Google actions and find the best one and, and enable it for the user going forward, where now that'll continue to be the skill that's used to answer those questions. Um, the way you handle it on each platform is a little different though. So like on Alexa, this idea of can fulfill intent request is basically it sends a request to each of the skills, like to your, your endpoint, whether that's Lambda or HTTP. Um, and your skill has to respond with whether it can answer that question or not. So you can either say like, yes, I can handle that. No, I can't. Or maybe I can, depending on the, the type of data. And then it's going to take the result of like the top 10 that it tried to request and pick between those tens that said, yes, I can answer this and, and pick the best one. So that's sort of where like the SEO side of it comes in, where your skill is more likely to be chosen if it like has a higher rating on the skill store, has more uh, active users and active usage if, if people are not uh, falling out of the skill and leaving it all the time. And, and also if there are no errors that are constantly happening. Um, so sort of building your skill around the content it's there for and making sure it works and then getting users to use it, just like SEO helps to have people actually hitting your website to become a higher rank in the sort of Google search or Bing search or what have you. Uh, we now have to sort of worry about that in the Alexa skill store and in the Google Actions directory too. Um, so yeah, those are the, the two ways that you actually go about like opening one of these custom interactions and, and getting into those custom conversations uh, outside of like the built-in functionality of each of the voice assistants. So, so that was just what I was going to ask. Uh, you, you said it's not the you don't have that app yet, but it'll still find it due to that central registry, which in this case is then the store. But is there also a way that you can you can actually install those apps and then it'll just prefer those? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple ways to do it. Um, the the best way, in my opinion, is to be able to do it over voice. So. Uh, like I was using that example of the pet resources skill, you could say, uh, Alexa, enable pet resources. And if you are up to date on the certain version of Alexa, um, it'll go and do that. This is sort of like a, a feature that seems to work sometimes for some users and other users, they like don't have that feature. I don't know if it's like an A-B tested rollout of a feature from Amazon. Um, but you could just mm -hmm. say enable in the name of it, or sometimes even just saying open. Like if you were to try to open it for the first time and didn't have it enabled, uh, sometimes that'll work too. But the sort of like guaranteed way to do it is to go into like the Alexa mobile app and go to like the actual UI for the skill store, find the skill and click the enable button, uh, just like you would go into like your, your app store and install an app or your, your Google Play store. Uh, and then the same thing exists for, for Google. Uh, you could just say talk to and the name of the action. Uh, and that tends to work a little more consistently uh, for automatically enabling it and getting you right into the conversation. So the third big player in this space is Apple. And you, you haven't mentioned them yet. Uh, they have this, what is it called? Home, um, <laughs> HomePod, yeah. <laughs> HomePod, right. Yeah. Um, and is, is that a different story or how does it work? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a different story. Basically, in order to build functionality or custom functionality for Siri, 
uh, it's a different sort of paradigm for developers to go through. So uh, like I had mentioned mm-hmm. before, with like Alexa and, and Google and Cortana, you, you're building a, a little cloud resource that takes JSON and returns JSON uh, and, and manages the context of the conversation. But Apple doesn't really have a cloud story. There isn't like a go upload this piece of code to uh, my Apple developer cloud and tell Siri to start hitting it. Instead, everything actually has to go through an iOS app and, and you build a Siri extension uh, in your iOS app, just like you would build like an Apple Watch extension um, or like a Spotlight okay. extension or something like that. Um, the other issue is that they have restrictions in terms of like what you can actually build categorically. Uh, so you can build like smart home extensions that interact with IoT devices like your lights or your front door uh, doorbell or something like that. But they don't really have this sort of open-ended, allow you to control everything about the, the natural language understanding and around the context and just deploy it. Um, so I've, I've done some tinkering with building Siri extensions and iOS apps because uh, it is a nice bridge of my sort of two backgrounds now. Um, but I haven't really taken anything to production because it's just super limited. And also users don't really expect to use a lot of custom sort of applications uh, with Siri yet, where sort of Alexa users are now trained to go and do that, uh, to go search for those custom skills that might give them some new functionality. Um, iOS users use Siri for very little things and very simple things and, and try not to venture beyond that uh, because it tends to fall apart. Uh, that being said, there are rumors of sort of new updates coming out to Siri soon, uh, which will enable something a little bit closer to what I'd like to be able to build with controlling the the dialogue and the language um, a little more. So I'm sort of ears to the ground on that personally, because uh, once that's out, I mean, I'm going to add support for that immediately in Voiceify uh, once something like that comes out. So we'll see. But in sort of the time being, it's it's out there doing its own thing. So, so how does it work in practice? You, uh, you have to install the app on your phone or tablet or like iPad, and then it's linked to the same Apple ID as your HomePod, and then that gets picked up. And how does it get onto the yeah. HomePod? Then? Yeah, that's that's you basically got it right. Everything actually routes okay. through the iOS app and its logic. So when you build the extension, you you do actually start to like install stuff, I guess, in a way. Uh, it's not really installing, mm-hmm. but install separately from your iOS app. But it, the iOS app kind of has to carry it there, um, just like the original version of of Apple Watch apps. You have to have your your actual iOS app build it and carry it, and then you had your Apple Watch app on top of that. Uh, so if you have a an iOS app that could be voice enabled and, and do something with Siri, I would definitely recommend sort of taking it to that next level and, and building those voice first interactions um, by just following through with with what you have in terms of tools for, for iOS and Siri development. Um, and it's not only for the HomePod either. I mean, you can use Siri on your phone and, and hit those custom extensions as well. Okay. Um, so for someone like me, I I have, uh, I have an iPhone. I have mm-hmm. uh, Siri on there. I use it for setting a timer. And basically, to uh, to for dictation for for spelling out WhatsApp messages without so much typing, right. um, I, I'm not not um, I haven't gotten used to using all this voice stuff, and and I it's a bit hard to fathom for me what types of applications you would put on there. Is that you have like type t- an application you can talk about or or some some um, types of applications that you're working on? Yeah. Um, so 
I, I can talk about sort of the, the space that our customers are, are working in and what they're building uh, without mentioning, mm-hmm. you know, names and specific applications of stuff that's in progress. Okay. But, um, you know, like our, our customer base at Voiceify is usually like pretty big enterprise companies uh, with like a lot of sub brands like CPG companies, um, also healthcare and insurance and financial institutions. So within each of those sort of verticals, there's a number of different use cases Um so let's let's take like financial services for example. Like uh, let's say I'm a I'm a retirement and savings bank. Uh, I want to enable my users to be able to ask about their account balances or just ask for advice on what types of investments to look in, maybe like market health or something like that. So it could be as simple mm-hmm. as just you know answering questions that are very open ended and everyone gets the same answer, all the way down to those very personalized experiences of and sort of functional experiences of like how much money do I have right now. Um, and then all the way through the sort of smart home, uh, I guess what was the initial wave of, of custom skills from my point of view, at least, uh, with, you know, actually interacting with other devices, turn on my lights, um, answer the, mm-hmm. the front door and stuff like that. Um, but beyond that, any sort of general resource, like I, like I mentioned, we had the, that animal shelter, they have the ability to just answer questions about, uh, rescuing dogs and cats and how to train dogs and cats all the way to actually taking donations, uh, through Amazon pay and donating through the skill. Um, we -hmm. have some, some healthcare customers that do like find a doctor, uh, booking appointments and stuff like that. Uh, all the way through e-commerce and actually purchasing things online or through your voice assistant um, like Alexa or Google. So, but those, it's always consumer space, right? You, you don't have corporate apps or, or private um, Alexa skills. Uh, there, there definitely is. And, and we do have customers that, that work in that space. There's basically like, just like in mobile, there's a couple different distribution channels going like to the public consumer skill store, just like publishing to the app store. Uh, but you could also do Alexa for business deployments, which is kind of the, the concept of like enterprise deployments in mobile uh, or private distribution mm-hmm. where you, you can basically gate the accounts that are allowed to install it um, and actually provision your custom skills yourself and, and, Amazon has that whole setup with their their whole Alexa for business category. Uh, but what I see usually in terms of like either B2B um, or like internal enterprise tooling, it's, it tends to be more useful to have chatbots and, and integrate that with your existing communications platforms, like building a Slack bot uh, that can go and uh, pull resources and find a document for you out of your giant, you know, massive brand assets um, or being able to schedule appointments or work with your existing outlook and stuff like that uh, and build it in a conversational way that's not necessarily voice focused. Okay. So, but say if I were a company that had a manufacturing uh, a building and inside this building, people like need their two hands and they need to input data into something or they need to query data. Um, would this be something that you could build a solution for? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's something we've talked to a number of folks about, um, especially in like logistics and, and manufacturing, sort of the two main spaces I've talked to people about with those use cases. So yeah, you can mm-hmm. build all of those different things. So the ability, for example, um, looking at some of the new actual hardware that's come out, uh, like the Echo, the new Echo headphones or existing ones from like Sony or Bose that had the assistance built in or even the AirPods with Siri uh, and being able to invoke it and, and use the wake word without having to touch anything and be totally hands free. 
um, means you can yeah. do all those voice interactions. And so being able to input data, uh, get reports uh, from something that's going on while being able to do other things, there's there's definitely a, a great story there. One of our customers is is working in the, the healthcare space from the actual provider side and enabling providers to be able to like just ask quickly about like recommended dosages for things without having to go and type it in and, and look it up and, and filter through everything they can continue working on what they're doing and, and just quickly ask, um, you know, what, what is the recommended dosage for this person, for this disorder, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. I was just thinking about one of the projects we had, um, with the, it's a hollow, hollow lens project. And Ooh. I believe HoloLens has voice recognition built in and yep. um, it's probably a bit different because it's, I, I'm not sure how, how, how similar it is to those, uh, to like the, the Alexa and, and Google Home. Or do you know anything about that? Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all the same parts, right? So like it, building a voice mm-hmm. interaction sort of has different main components to it. And depending on, you know, what platform you're talking about, some of them are managed in different ways. But in the end, you have to be able to, to record the audio, take the audio and translate that to text. Uh, so going from from speech to text, then take that text mm-hmm. and process it against a language model. So being able to actually understand the intent of what was said, uh, pull out any important entities or slots or whatever you want to call it, parameters from there, uh, and then do what you want with that and then return a response that then takes you that data and, and does the text to speech side. Um, being able to synthesize the speech from like Alexa or Google or uh, in the case of HoloLens is probably Cortana or, or some other internal internal bot. So as long as you have those components, it's all the same design and in, in being able to interpret and run your business logic however you want. So building Alexa skills, you have to use their language model, but you don't have to worry about doing the, the speech to text or the text to speech. You just get string data in that JSON format. And when you return that JSON, you have a field to return um, the actual text you want spoken out. And that's all you have to worry about. Uh, But in the case of like building custom applications in HoloLens, um, I was doing this, uh, I think like two years ago at HackMIT as sort of a a fun project there uh, to be able to do like a Unity application on HoloLens using the, the Holo toolkit. And then add mm-hmm. like the the voice recognition and output on top of that to be able to execute stuff. So in that case, I have to worry about each of the components myself, but I can also use other services for that. Um, so, for example, in, if we're talking about like the Azure stack, um, I could use uh, Azure's speech to text and text to speech. There's existing services for that that are super simple to use. They're just API calls. Uh, and I could use Microsoft's Lewis to actually handle the language model and pull out the intents and the, and the slots and stuff like that. So in the case of this Unity application, I can you know visualize something. Uh, I can visualize a hologram uh, on my Hololens. Take the the actual recording, trigger a recording in the first place. Run that through Azure's speech to text. Then take the text, run that through Lewis. Then do whatever I want to to sort of update that model in real time in front of me. That sort of hologram, and then output speech if I want to as well by using the the text to speech side uh, from Azure. Okay, so uh, you mentioned Microsoft Lewis. I'd never heard of that. Is it, yep. is it some kind of understanding the sentences you're saying? Or yeah, so it's it's their uh, what's called an NLU tool or NLP tool. It's natural language understanding and natural language processing. Um, okay. If you go to Lewis.ai, basically what it allows you to do is is create a language model and. It generally works the same way regardless of whether it's Lewis or Dialogflow for Google or Alexa's natural language model. Um, what you're doing is essentially desi- uh, designing this model around phrases that someone's going to say, 
and then like what that means to you. So you're essentially creating what's called an intent uh, or an action and you're able to define what that means. So let's, I'll, I'll sort of paint a super simple example. This is the, the one I give during my talks. Um, let's say I'm building a voice interaction that um, lets you ask about an animal fact. And so I know mm-hmm. that people are going to ask that by saying like, give me a dog fact or give me um, you know, a, a bird fact. And I can then design my model to say, all right, the intent of this is getting an animal fact. So I have my animal fact intent. And then within that, the next step is to figure out what I actually need from that that actual output to do my search for a fact, right? So I need the name of the animal. And so I can create these entities or slot types for an animal name. And then with those two things, the name of the intent and the slots that you need, you then start to uh, add user utterances or uh, utterance patterns where I could say, if someone says, give me a dog fact, that is an animal fact intent. And then I can basically design with just like basic pattern matching in this case to say the dog part is the animal slot that I need. Um, And so each of these different tools does it a little bit differently, but the general concept around training a language model is just that you create a a bunch of intents, you create a bunch of slots for those, for what you need, and you create a bunch of utterance patterns to, to match those. And so it's going to train based off of the utterance pattern. So if it gets something sent to it that's similar so if i say tell me a dog fact it's going to know oh that's an animal fact intent and i know how to pull the dog part out uh, and send that along that's really neat and so lewis allows you to do that yeah that lewis is just microsoft's tool uh, on azure to to make that super simple they do a bunch of other crazy stuff within that i mean i'm, I'm really simplifying the process here there's a lot of other stuff yeah. with being able to like dynamically train and uh, being able to pull out expected utterances and do continuous training and stuff like that. But the general concept, uh, that's their tool for it. Well, most of this technology comes from the States. And I was wondering, um, how's the, do you know how the story is for other languages or languages other than English? I, I know um, I have my phone set to American English mm-hmm. and um, there uh, there's this feature of the mailbox that it automatically transcribes your, your calls and it is um, so funny to read what the phone understands if somebody leaves me a German message and it tries <laughs> to interpret it as English. Yeah. Um, because it, it'll just, just have the typical phone call phrases in there, like honey or, uh, um, but the, nothing like that was ever said. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. The the sort of story with, uh, with multiple languages is just funny because I'm actually working on um, a bunch of new features on our platform for, for handling multiple languages in a single mm-hmm. app. Um, but the, the general idea is that um, each of those like major components that I talked about with building a, a voice experience needs to understand the language and be trained on that. So going from speech to text, that sort of phase needs to be aware of the language so that it can actually process the right words. Like you were, you were giving the example there of it uh, trying to process German words into English and, and just being all yeah. over the place. That step needs to be aware of the language and have a separate model trained on how to understand the language. Um, so once you have that, and, and usually in terms of building for like Google and Alexa, that's kind of handled for you. Uh, you don't have to worry about teaching it how to understand the actual uh, phrases um, but then you need to take your natural language understanding side, the, that language model, and be able to translate that. So I would, in this sort of case of this animal fact example, I would need to translate my my example utterances into the languages I'm going to be able to support, uh, including like the slot values and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I don't speak any other languages, so I can't really give a great example. Uh, but once you have that, you, you have the same 
business logic code, maybe you need to execute something differently based off of the language, but it, it'll tell you what language it was based off of what model it hit. Uh, so if it hit my English American model, uh, even versus like regionalized, like uh, British English or Canadian English, uh, I'll be aware of the language that the user spoke and the data that I have. So now I can do, you know, my custom content searches and stuff like that. Um, and then sort of the last phase, the actual um, text to speech side, again, that has to be aware of the language it's supposed to be outputting to. Because uh, if you give, um, you know, a bunch of German words to Alexa and tell it that it's English, it's going to say it in the craziest right. ways. Um, and it's actually pretty funny sometimes, but to play with, but yeah, so all, all the major steps just need to be aware of the language, but it, your business logic can be however you want in between. And you're just sort of working through, uh, almost like having different siloed apps for each one of the, the languages and making sure you have the same coverage for each language in terms of features. Like if I have my animal fact intent in English, uh, but I'm missing it on my Spanish side, like now there's a gap between the actual features I have, uh, depending on the language someone says, and that's not very great. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's sort of it in terms of multiple languages. I, I wonder what what the story is like. Like, if you were to set up something at the airport, and people would just approach it and start speaking, and it would have to identify first which language is this. I mean, right now you're you have some external factors setting which language it should try to interpret. Um, but it, it uh, like right. I'm thinking like Google Translate. You can just paste the text in any language, and it'll identify what language that was, which is probably much easier for written um, for words than spoken. Right. Uh, but I, I wonder if there's a solution for that yet. Yeah, I, I think Microsoft may have one in cognitive mm -hmm. services with being able to do language detection. Um, in general, though, it would just have to be another step before the first like true, uh, you know, speech to text phase to be able to do the language right. detection. But it, I mean, I imagine it could be as simple as just training another type of model um, around like certain types of phrases and, and sort of certain audio waveforms yeah, and stuff like that and being able to pin those as a certain language. But at least the way I would probably implement it myself would be to do it as a, a first phase check, detect the language, then follow through with the rest of the sort of typical steps of uh, text-to-speech language understanding processing and, and uh, text-to-speech on the on the backside. Yeah, but that's going to be a tricky problem to, to just get all these... the. I mean, different pronunciations of the same language and different voices and, and try to filter that out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know? definitely. I mean, we, we see it all the time, even just with one language where, you know, the, the voice assistant doesn't necessarily do that speech to text right the first time. Right, right. Um, we've implemented features on our platform, at least, to be able to, like, help you work around that where we can tell you. Um, when something was incorrect and then you can go and like sort of add that to your language model as like the incorrect phrase. Um, like I have a funny example, you know, one of our, our customers was building a, a customer service app and they wanted to be able to have someone say, what are your FAQs? Like your frequently asked questions. And then it would like list them out and let you, um, you know, sort of move through the menu, mm -hmm. I guess. But we saw some issues with like people, with certain accents saying FAQs or, uh, even just like depending on where you were relative to the device. And so we went and looked at our analytics that we track and we were like, oh, they're Alexa's picking it up as like FAQs and if AQ. Right. And so it wasn't actually matching with the phrase FAQ. So we, we were able to go and like tweak that. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting problem that exists just in general. If one of those sort of uh, phases in the process goes wrong, um, you, it's kind of hard to recover from that. Well, it's, it's all fascinating work you're doing there.
<laughs> is there anything if if you, anyone wants to get started with this or or learn more, more about it, any place you would point them at, or is that very much depending on the technology? Um, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the technology. Like for me, I I think it's very fun to work with, and and I think that if people are interested in in building something, and they have a smart speaker, or they have a specific assistant they use on your phone, build for that, uh, and just follow the getting started docs mm -hmm. on it. Um, if you're looking for like .NET specific stuff, like C# -sharp examples, I have a bunch of resources on my blog to get started to sort of break down uh, the sort of overcomplicated side of like Alexa and Google development. Um, so I definitely recommend my own blog post for that stuff. It really simplifies it. But the getting started docs are easy uh, in terms of like which platform to start with. If you can't decide, Alexa is definitely the easiest one to build for uh, right now, at least in the getting started phases of, of building your first skill and stuff like that. Um, and all of it's up on GitHub. They have a bunch of resources and examples you can follow. Um, and don't let them uh, force you to use AWS if you don't want to. You can just put your stuff in Azure and, and point it to an HTTP endpoint too. Uh, but all their docs are going to make you go subscribe to AWS and, and get your access and deploy your lambdas and all that. But uh, you could just build you know, ASP.NET APIs and be off and running building Alexa skills. That's good to know. And I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, well, perfect. Uh, th thank you very much for being my guest today. That was very informative. I knew nothing about the topic uh, before, and now I, I have a feeling I've, I have a, a rougher understanding, but I have to try it out myself. Definitely. Yeah. And thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I mean, we had to deal with some technical issues, but uh, I think we made it. And this is awesome. My goal is that the listener doesn't doesn't even notice that. Uh, <laughs> Let's see yeah. how it works out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry about it. Uh, well, so thank you very much, Alex. And this has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll see each other again in two weeks. Bye.